up, uh, y'all be praying for us. Randall and I leave with our team for Kentucky uh, next Saturday. It's uh, six days from today. And uh, this is probably got a team. Of, how many, where, where's she going? Uh, she went out. How big is our, anybody know how big our team is? I don't know how big our team is. we got a big team. It's 18, 17 people. And uh, we get to, we're taking our girls with us. This will be the first mission trip we've ever done with our girls. And, and uh, so uh, pray for us. Um, it'll, uh, no, it'll be good. We're excited. It'll be good. And, and uh, it's good times. All right. Well, let's do this. We can take your baskets and pass them back down for our offering this morning. Obviously, we are gracious just for the, and also for your Connect cards. If you're a first-time guest, take that Connect card you filled out. And I'll shoot you an email this week. And uh, we're just thankful for you know, the way that God has poured out blessing here at Vintage uh, over the last three and a half years. I, I sit there and look at where we are. And even this past week, we were uh, just in the process kind of looking forward to what God's doing at the space-wise. And as we look at the financials, I'm like, God, you, you've done a great thing here at Vintage, just a, a blessing us and a pouring out a resource. And that's really just a testimony of, of God's faithfulness, but also your obedience. And so I just wanted to say thank you. Uh, for this, uh, your obedience every week and, uh, and, and what you do here at Vintage. So thank you. Well, this morning, um, I'm going to begin with this. Most of you have probably had a job in your life sometime, hopefully. If you haven't had one, you should probably get one sometime. Just try it on, see if it fits, right? But, uh, you know, in, in, in business world, all, everybody knows that, that um, if you're going to succeed and kind of take the steps forward that you need to take in the job that you have, it's important that you actually fulfill the responsibilities that your boss gives you, right? So let's say you have a moment, all of a sudden your boss comes in and, and says, I need you to do this. And all of a sudden in the moment you recognize that you have a responsibility. And so, so you are, you're, you're very aware of keeping, um, keeping tabs on deadlines and making sure that you're meeting deadlines. And, and you're probably even connecting to and, and talking with your boss on a, on a semi-regular basis just to make sure that you're going the direction that you need to go. Because the thing you want to do is you want to please the boss, right? He or she, you want to please the boss. You want to make sure that the, the boss is happy and all that kind of stuff, right? And so you are keeping tabs on what you're doing, the direction you're going. You're keeping this, making sure you're keeping up with the checklist and all this kind of stuff. To make sure that, so, that you're doing what you need to do so that you can, quote unquote, move forward in the business realm in which you find yourself. And I find myself in, in my own Christian life that, that I'm on a, on a fairly regular basis, I'm kind of doing the own kind of spiritual checkup myself on my, on my spiritual walk, right? It's that, that every day in some level, even every, or every week or every month, I'm, I'm sitting down and I'm making sure, number one, that I'm, I'm doing the things the Lord wants me to do. Father, am I, am I, am I being obedient to the things that you've called me to be obedient to? Father, am I, am, Paul talked about it, am I keeping in step with your spirit according to Galatians chapter 5, right? The spirit of God is moving forward. Am I keeping step with you? Am I lagging behind? Am I running forward, right? Whatever it may be. So I, I'm doing an, a spiritual inventory basically in my life. Make sure I'm, I'm doing what I should be doing. There's no known sin in my life or disobedience. You know what I'm talking about, right? This is, not, this is pretty much common sense. That, that, that it's not a matter of my salvation, but a matter of am I keeping a step of the Spirit? Am I, am I maturing? Am I growing? A, a Hebrew says, although you should be eating spiritual meat, you're still drinking spiritual milk. Basically, you have not grown escalated kind of in your growth of what I'm calling you to do, right? And so there's this, this maturity. And so, Father, I'm, I'm every day, every week, every month saying, God, I want to keep in step with your spirit. I'm doing an inventory. There are things in my life that I should be doing that I'm not or that I am doing that I shouldn't. You know what I'm getting at. So 
Anyway, so holidays, these major Christian holidays, honestly, are really a season for me in which I'm kind of doing a spiritual inventory. So, so around the Christmas holidays, I'm, I'm reminding myself, Jesus is the reason for the season. Don't kill the lady at Macy's. You know what I'm getting at, right? It's just the whole dynamic going down. Lord, it's all about you. It's about your birth. I'm aware of the simplicity of your birth and the, the difficulty of you coming and being a human being. And what does that look like? Christ, you know, excuse me, God in flesh, the incarnation. It's a really, really big deal, right? And so I'm just being aware and being intent intentional about staying true to the season that I find myself in doing a spiritual inventory. And so Easter really is, I mean, it is the, it, honestly, it is the most important Christian holiday, right, uh, that, we, that we have, right? This idea that it's the culmination of Jesus' life. Everything he was here for happened in this one-week stretch. Have you ever looked at your Bible and wondered why is half of the book of John dealing with the first 30 years, 33 years of Jesus' life, and the second half deals with one week? Have you ever thought about that? What's so important about the Passion Week that it takes up an entire half of the Gospel of John? It's, in a, it's, in, it's, it's vital, right? This, this story, the coming of Jesus and the, the death of Jesus and his resurrection, it defines our spirituality. So when I step into Easter then, I am, I'm going to be intentional then, about my spiritual inventory. God, I'm going to, Jesus, I'm going to be aware of how, why you lived your life. I'm going to be aware of you, the sacrifice that you made. I'm going to be aware of the disciples deserting you, every single one of them, literally abandoning Jesus, deserting him. I'm going to be aware of the heartbrokenness that you experienced in the moment, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be aware of you literally looking down on seeing your mother, Mary, whom you had an unbelievably tight and in, this intimate relationship with, right? I'm going to be aware of all of these things about your life. I'm going to be aware about the, 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 the death of Jesus. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be aware of the resurrection and the power found in the reality of an empty cross. Right. And the and the and the and the power found in the, the blood of Jesus being poured out to, to for the forgiveness of my own sin. So so it's an inventory to see, God, am I am I fleshing that out? Right. Am I am I aware of the season that I find myself in? God, am I am I aware of the reality of the, the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus and the cross and the empty cross and the garden of Gethsemane and and, and Peter denying him three times and people spitting on him and all the things? God, am I living aware of your sacrifice? I'm doing a spiritual inventory. So this morning, what I want to simply do is invite you in. I want to invite you in to do a spiritual inventory. Because the greatest thing that we can do in our life is take inventory to make sure that we're keeping in step with the Spirit. Because I want to be honest with you, the greatest place to be in life is walking in obedience to Jesus. In fact, every other place is dissatisfying. So real quick, here's a test for you, real quick. It's a real quick test. If you're living life 100% dissatisfied, then I get to invite you to keep in step with the Spirit. Because when you live a life of obedience, of keeping in step with Him, there's a level of holy satisfaction that we have of knowing, ah, I'm walking with Jesus and I'm in agreement with Him. Oh, it's so good to be in His presence. 
All right. So spiritual inventory time. That's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to invite you in. What I'm going to do, I'm going to, we're going to, I'm going to read from Mark chapter 10. Don't go there yet. I'm going to read from Mark chapter 10. And we're going to basically kind of do this spiritual inventory. It's a kind of, I would call it a test, but let's just be honest. We all hate them, right? It's a spiritual inventory thing that we're doing this morning, okay? So I'm going to invite you in, spiritual inventory. And then when you leave today, you get to sit down with Jesus and have that conversation to see how you're doing at the words that he speaks here in Mark chapter 10. So here we go. One stop, press pause. Don't put it up yet. Jesus has just had the rich young ruler experience, right? The guy comes to him and says, what must I do to have eternal life? And he says, well, have you kept all the commandments? He says, yes, I've kept every single one of them since I was a baby. And Jesus looked at him and goes, hmm, well, then take all of your possessions, sell it, and give it to the poor, right? Take all your possessions and give it to the poor. And then you can enter. And it says, the man walked away sad. Because he was a very wealthy man. And then Jesus had the audacity then to say, how difficult is it then for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And the disciples went, what is he saying? This is is a very hard saying that you're making, Jesus. And he says, yes, I know. Yes, I know. And that's where we pick up the story in chapter 10, verse 32. It says, they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished. That's the 12, right? The disciples were astonished at what Jesus had just said, while those who followed were afraid. I don't know. This is thousands. Maybe we don't. I don't really know. But there's a large crowd and they feared Jesus. Okay. Jesus had just done something very difficult, said a very difficult word, and the disciples are astonished, and the followers are afraid. It says, again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. He says, we are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priest and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. For those of you who don't know, Gentiles are just any single person who's not Jewish. Okay? Verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. They replied, let one of us sit on your right and the other at your left in your glory. So you get the picture. Jesus, he's walking with a large crowd. He says, looks at the 12, hey, come with me. Everyone else, you stay out here. Okay? You stay out here. I'm taking the 12 inside. And Jesus comes in. And he wants to confide in them, right? So he sits down and he says this, guys, we're going to Jerusalem. All right? Guys, we're, we're going to Jerusalem. And you've got to recognize this was a moment of wonderful anticipation and expectation for the disciples. This makes them go, yes, with everything inside of their being. For three years, they've been following Jesus for one reason. They think that he is the Messiah, the Christ. The anointed one. Ultimately, they, listen, 
they think that he is the savior of all the Jewish people. He's come to save them from Roman rule, right? They don't like being under Roman rule. They don't like being told what to do. Jews, like the Jewish people, wanted to do, they wanted to be with God in themselves and have their own nation state, right? And they were waiting for a Messiah, basically a, a military warrior, right? A, like a William Wallace, right? To come in, to ride in with his face painted and say, we're taking this city for, Jesus, for God, right? For myself, whatever, right? So we're going to take this city. So they're all waiting expectation for three years. And then Jesus says, guys, we're going to Jerusalem. And they're like, yes, massive prophetic overtones. Basically, for thousands of years, men had told, but foretold that a Messiah would come and who would come into Jerusalem and take up rulership there. And the guys are like, yes. It is about time. All of our expectations are now being met. All of our anticipation, everything we've been waiting for, looking for, is now going to happen. The very thing they had expected, and the very thing that, that every part, every part of their being longed for, was about to happen, they thought. But, Jesus, listen, Jesus kept speaking. I don't want you to miss that. This is the actual heart of the morning. Jesus kept speaking. Now, all, now the, the kept speaking parts of our lives are hard for us. We all, every single person in this room has had a kept speaking type moment. Just think of like a 15 years old, you know, you're, every ounce of your being is longing and desiring for a brand new car, right? You're literally on the, well, I mean, listen, if you're old, you weren't. But like the young kids today, right, they're on the Internet looking at pictures, and they're emailing their parents pictures of the exact car that they want, right? They talk about how safe, they're smart, how safe it is, right, and the crash test rating, send the Carfax history, right, all this stuff, right? And so all of a sudden, turn 16, and Dad looks at the son and says, Son, we want you to know, I just want you to know, Mom and I have talked, and we're buying you a brand new car. And everything inside of him goes, yes, right? Hallelujah, right? This whole moment going down in the moment, right? Everything's happening right now. But the parent kept speaking, and they said, and, but you will be dropping off and picking up your baby sister every day at ballet, Monday through Friday, right? They're like, oh, what? Right? And you have the moment. You have the, the excitement, the exhilaration of the moment, and then what do you have? The kept speaking moment of this, right? Or think about, like, you know, you talk, you talk to your kids. Maybe, you were, maybe this happened to you when you were a kid, and, and you dreamed of going to Disney World, right? And they sit down and say, hey, we're next week, we're leaving and we're going to Disney World. And you're like, yes. But they go, but we're stopping at crazy Uncle Ned's house and we're going to stay for a few days. You're like, my eyebrows just grew back. Are you serious, crazy Uncle Ned? No, right? And this whole dynamic, this whole thing going down, that, that you have these two things. You have the thing that you're excited about. But then you have the kept speaking moments. And that's just not so good. And in the moments you have a choice. 
You can just remember the good and just pretend like you didn't hear the bad, right? You can pretend like you only heard the good, but the bad actually doesn't exist. You see, Jesus has kept speaking moment in the disciples' lives is very similar. He sits down and says, guys, we're going to Jerusalem. Woo, right? That, woo, what was that Steve Martin did that? Woo, the whole thing, right? What was that? What was the phrase? Something of wild and crazy guys. Yeah. So anyway, so anyway, we're going, here we go. And the young kids are like, what? Right? Steve Martin? Who are you talking about? He's an old guy like me. Anyway, so you've got this whole dynamic going down, right, of, of Jesus as they were going to Jerusalem, right? Going to Jerusalem, woohoo, excited. And they're like, yes, and all of a sudden, but he kept speaking. He says, we're going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, me, the Messiah, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be sentenced to death. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be spit on, be beaten. I'm going to be killed. Oh, but I'm going to rise from the dead. Right? I'm going to rise from the dead. I just, can't you just see, can't you just kind of imagine what the disciples are doing? Right? They, just had their, they just had this kept speaking moment. The but in the story, you're like, oh, all right. I can just see it. Now, Mark doesn't tell us what the response is of, of the disciples, but Luke does in chapter 18, verse 34. And he says this, just listen. He says, the disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. I can just imagine the disciples' expression, right? The thoughts that are running through their heads are like, they're scratching their head going, man, what is, what is he talking about? Or saying, some part, man, probably one is going, man, I hate it when Jesus says stuff like that. Or, or Peter goes over and says, man, I love Jesus and all, but I'll be honest, sometimes I just don't get him. <laughs> right? I just don't get him. I mean, he's all, he's getting all like Jerusalem on us, and then what? He keeps on speaking like, Someone's betray who? And who's he even talking about? I'm going to die? I mean, he's obviously not talking about himself because the Messiah can't die. And being raised from the dead, I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, Jesus sometimes is a little crazy, right? A little crazy in the head, right? I mean, this is such crazy. What in the world is he talking about? They're having this moment of like, the what? Uncle Ned, are you serious? No way, look at this. They just grew back and they're pretty, right? This whole moment's going down for the disciples. That's where they are right now. They're just in this moment going, What? he talking about what is he talking about but the greatest response that i I, we and we just read a second ago just the greatest response that that honestly just it's just so human it's honestly is just like me is is james and john remember they just they just had this moment jesus is with the thousands what does he do he pulls the 12 in you know that moment where where you get to be part of the inside group? Remember that moment of your life where, oh, I'm part of the inside group. I'm getting invited in. I'm going to have special knowledge, right? And Jesus is inviting them in for special knowledge. It's a moment. He's confiding in them. He's telling them a secret, something that nobody else knows. They can't, no one else could grasp me. He's like, listen, guys, we're going to Jerusalem. Yes. But I'm going to be killed. And so they're in this moment, all they're all scratching their head, and it's this deep, deep moment for Jesus. And then James and John, what do they do? They move first. You know, you know those people, right? Those people, the people who move first, the first ones to share their opinions, right? Are you one of those people? So, Randall. Anyway, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> so. <laughs> Thanks, Martin. 
Anyway, so, anyway, those those first people that share their opinions. So here's James and John, right? James and John, they they, they lead the twelve, right? They they step out from the twelve. Everybody's like, oh, there they go. You can just see the movie, the the movie clip of this, right? You just see them walking up. They're like, everybody's going, kind of watching as they go like this, right? And they're thinking, oh, either, either, oh, maybe they're going to get clarification. They can explain it to the rest of us as we're like, like this, like, yeah, we get it, Mm-mm, right? The whole woman, like, maybe they're, they're going to get clarification, or, or maybe they're going to get up and, you know, Peter's probably looking and saying, oh, good. Whew. James and John are going to go set Jesus straight, <laughs> right? They're going to go tell them what they need to do, right? And yeah, that is not me this time, because usually I'm that guy, but they're, they're going to be those guys this time, right? And so they step up, they walk over, and they start. They say, teacher, right? Sign of respect, teacher. And then they say, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And their request, we want to sit, we want, we want, I want to sit on the right side, and then he wants to sit on, sit on the left side. Basically what they're saying is, hey, when you, when we enter into Jerusalem together to take over the kingdom, we want to be the number one and number two, or the number one A, number one B. We want to be right there next to, we, that's who we want to be. Cool? Right? That's what he's getting at. That's what he's getting at. And so what we find is basically this. They are the masters of missing the moments. Right? Jesus spoke, we're going to Jerusalem, and all they heard was blah, 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 Right? All they heard was we're going to Jerusalem, we're taking the place as king, and their minds begin racing. They're like these delusions of grandeur, which is the, you've heard that phrase, right? It's the ongoing phrase in the Star Wars trilogy, you've heard that, right? The delusions of grandeur. They've had this going on, right? Like, oh, and they see themselves, slow motion. Yeah, right? And they're in this moment, and but Jesus kept speaking. And they never heard him. In fact, all they heard, listen, See if this describes you. Jesus spoke something wonderful and great that belongs to us, but he kept speaking, and all they heard, listen, was the part that they wanted to hear. That's all they heard. They only heard the part that they wanted to hear. They heard the the good part. They heard the part that they felt like applied to them, and they totally missed the rest of of Jesus. Do you know of a culture like that that does what it wants to do because it feels good and it fits them best? Do you know any culture like that? I'm not sure if I live a part of one, right? That's where we live. I'll do it if it feels good. If that doesn't make me feel good, I'm not going to do it, right? And so coming in, it's just this, they're literally, in a very real way, they are blinded by their selfishness, right? They're blinded from hearing the heart of the message that Jesus was confiding in them. They heard what they wanted to hear and not what he was actually saying. So several years ago, it's about 10 or 11 years ago, Randall and I went to India, led a trip of about, I think about eight, uh, eight college students, or just past college students, or just past college age, and, and the religious team was a great, it was one of those trips, you know, one of those trips that like, one of those instances of life that just kind of changes you, one of those moments that you feel like you have a perspective shift on everything that you're doing, and it's like this, you're like, my life's never been the same again, I've been, just been wrecked in a, in a good way, or like, I've experienced something like, I'll never be the same, that was this trip for me, right, so on my way home, and I'm thinking about stepping back into real life, my, so back into my life, and thinking, what's it going to be like, you know, and, and, and I'm, and I'm wrestling through that, and God, you've 
just changed me. I'm not the same person I was when I left. My perspective, things that were so big over here, just they're just not that big to me anymore. And I'm like, I just had this great holy perspective, right? I get off the airplane, I'm making my way down the corridor to baggage claim, and, and I look down, and, and there are a bunch of people that I know, right? People who did not go on the trip. And I'm looking at them, and I had this whole moment of like, Oh, I don't really want to see them. You know what I'm talking about, but I guess I really do. I miss them because I'm just like I'm just so in this moment with Jesus, and and so I so I walk out the corridor, pulling my bag, and I see this guy, a guy I've been uh, mentoring, discipling for a little while, and and uh, so I walk up, and we and we have a we have a big, have a big hug. He's like, Oh my gosh, man, I missed you. It's so good to see. I'm like, Thanks, and. He said, was it a good trip? And I said, yeah. He said, what happened, you know? And so I just do the, the, the mission trip throw up. I'm like, everything in my happen. Like, this is so great. And da, 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 and it changed my life and all this stuff. And, rah, rah, rah. and I'm just like, my perspective shifted. And I'm so excited to see it. my life's going to be different. I feel like there's so many. And this, you know what I'm talking about, just going on and on and on and on and on and on. And literally... <laughs> Literally, in the middle of talking, he goes, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, man, but listen, I'm just glad you're home because I really got to talk about this girl I've been dating. <laughs> and I punched him. I'm just kidding. Anyway, so it's like literally, that's what I, I'm like, oh, right? I'm just like, this is, this is brutalized me. I'm like, I just, are you, uh, what? Are you serious? I'm, and I'm sitting there going, you, you're kidding me. But I'm sitting in there and, I cannot, and I'm having my moment. Right? I pulled them aside, right? I pulled them aside for the rest of the crowd. We're having our moment. I'm sharing my life. I'm sharing this perspective shift. This thing ultimately I believe is going to be, be for him, right? I think it's, you know, I can't wait to meet. And, and all of a sudden he just like completely misses the point. See, I had kept speaking about this stuff and he completely just heard blah, 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 blah. Didn't hear a word I said because he was so caught up in his own agenda in his own life, in his own stuff, that he couldn't see what God may be trying to do in his life. Completely blinded in the moment. You see, for the disciples in Mark 10, Jesus, Jesus, he names their expectation, right? The great desire is to go into Jerusalem. He names that. But in, in this kept speaking moment, Jesus then Listen, he names the expectation that he has of himself. Did you catch that? He names the expectations that he has of himself. The Savior of humanity who would suffer and who would die for the brokenness of the people that they were around. Yes, going into Jerusalem was about becoming the king, but it involves something they had never, ever considered. The part that they couldn't hear. It was a life of service, listen, and a life of slavery. Of doing and being a life of obedience, of following Jesus, of what God's calling him to do. Jesus is, look at Jesus' words to his whole group of disciples in Mark 10, verse 42 through 44. It says this, You know, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. I want you to catch this. You may not be able to see this in, in this writing. Number one, Jews ultimately didn't respect Gentiles, okay? Just know that. Jews, these guys, did not respect non-Jews, did not respect Gentiles. And what he's really do, doing, this is this, 
He's calling them out. He's calling them out. Because I believe what he's simply doing is simply restating something he's heard them say in the past. Basically, I've heard you talk about how the Gentiles lorded over their people. And you sit there and say, yes, but the, the, the great commandment is to love God with all of our heart and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves in humility. That's what we're doing. It's what we're called to do. And he's sitting there saying, but what you're doing, James and John, is exactly what the Gentiles do. You're trying to lord it over even these ten other men that you've been living life with for the last three years in your desire to be number 1A and number 1B. Do you see that? He names and calls out their selfishness. He calls out that, that, that selfish part of them of lording it over people. He's calling them out in the moment. What I want you to see is that Jesus has an assault, an assault on the selfishness, the selfishness that dictates how we live our lives. There's this level of selfishness that he's calling out that dictates how we live our lives. The disciples, in many ways, they're, they're simply, listen, they're simply using Jesus. Do you hear that? The disciples are simply using Jesus for what they can get from him. James and John said, finally, yes, we want you to give us whatever we ask of you. Okay, what do you want? We want to be number one. We're brothers. We're going to serve together. All right? I guarantee you there's a tension inside of their heart who's going to be 1A. And Jesus is naming out, right? There's an assault on this selfishness in their life. They're using Jesus. Using him for what they can get from him. James and John reveal their true hearts. Give us whatever we want. Make us better men. Make us better than the men that we're living with. I believe that this is the great struggle for us as human beings in relationship with Jesus. We want a relationship with Jesus so we don't go to hell. We become Christians so we can have a heavenly father who loves us. We become Christians because our life is a mess and we're told to give our lives to Jesus. He will fix it. We become Christians so that we can have this family support system in the best case and they even give us money when we're struggling, right? That's best case scenario, right? We're going to get in and be part of the family and get stuff, right? There's this whole dynamic going down. Listen, I remember growing up in my Southern Baptist church, right? Where every Sunday night, a different evangelist would come and preach. And listen, he would sit there like a really, really bad used car salesman and tell me about the latest, greatest version of Jesus. And how if I just give my life to him, he'd make everything in my life perfect. And I got saved 45 times that one summer, I remember, right? Because sitting there that summer, right, they would come and tell me if I just gave my life to Jesus, everything would be great. And I sit there and go, my life isn't great, so I'm, it must be me. I must not really be a Christian. Let's see if, it's, see if it fits this time, right? And I said, give my life to Jesus. Jesus, I just asked forgiveness. I'm not sure what I did, but I'm sure I'm a terrible Christian because he told me how bad I was. And I'm only nine. I don't know what I did, God, but I'm terrible. I'm sure. I'm really, really bad. I repent. I'm not sure what that means, but I'm going to do it anyway, right? I repent. What does that mean? Hey, right, I'm just doing this. Because I'm told, if you just do this with Jesus, he'll give you stuff. He'll just give you stuff. And the tension for us really is, 
that in some level this is true. When we become Christians, all of this stuff comes, right? It's a, it's an amazing, in an amazing way, it radically alters our lives for the better, right? We get to spend eternity with the God of all creation. All of that is true. It's pretty, it's a, Amazing benefits, obviously amazing benefits. But the full message of Scripture, the full expression of the good news of Jesus is that Jesus kept speaking. He kept speaking. And the message, listen, the message of the disciples was clear. Your life, it is not your own. Your life is not about what I can do for you to help you attain your goals. Your life is not about being comfortable and being happy. Your life isn't about making a one-time decision that gets you into eternity. Jesus kept talking, and what he said was clear. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must choose to be slave of all. Paul in 1 Corinthians 7.22 says, He who was a free person when called... Is Christ's slave? You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. The idea for Paul is, listen, Jesus by his death and resurrection, he purchased us. We now belong to him. He is a perfect master who, love, who, who lovingly relates to us, right, and works in our lives. And to be a slave is as if we're, in a sense, a love slave. We're a, in a, this, this chosen, this bond slave, a chosen obedience to God. It's a wonderful experience. And listen, choose that verse being a slave to men where they just beat you and mock, all this kind of stuff, right? Choose to be a slave to God. But the idea is say, God saying, you don't belong to yourself. See, the question for us this morning is simple. In what area of your life has Jesus kept speaking and you haven't fully engaged the word he has spoken? In what ways has Jesus kept speaking in your life, saying, yes, it's all this wonderful stuff, but it's also about following him, serving him, being obedient to him, and oh, by the way, That's the safest and most wonderful place to be is in in this relationship of service to God and to our neighbor. It's not about what you get. It's not about you. It's about giving our lives away. So in what area, in what areas are you just grabbing hold of Jesus' blessings, his gifts, but not engaging his call to service? How much time are you spending asking, listen, how much time are you spending asking him to bless you rather than living your life as a blessing to others? In what ways are you simply a user in your relationship with Jesus rather than a partner or co-laborer, as Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3? How much time, how much time have you spent whining about your struggles or what you have, or what you don't have, instead of showing a heart of gratitude for what God has done and what you do have. This is the spiritual inventory, guys. This isn't like a condemnation thing of like you suck, sorry. This is literally a an expression in our lives of God. Oh, I've got to keep in step with your spirit. 
And here are the areas, Lord, God, where I need to, where I need to die or, God, I need to, I need to embrace life, whatever it may be. God, I'm, I'm, I'm over here and I'm, and, and I'm focusing on death. Listen, I've said this a hundred times at Vintage, but listen, you gravitate towards the, the things you focus on. If you whine and complain and talk about what you don't have and how mean everybody is and all that stuff every day, guess what? That's all you're going to see. But if you embrace a heart of gratitude for what you do possess and what God has done and, and all of the wonderful things in life, all of a sudden there's this, this mental shift of like, oh, I never, I just had lost sight of it. God, thank you, right? I want to keep in step with your spirit. It's not about the, all, it's not, it's not about me. It's about you and what you've done and how great you are. As we step into the, this holiday season of Easter, it's a time of spiritual inventory. God, Am I embracing the kept speaking part? Yes, I appreciate all the blessings going into Jerusalem or going to Disney World, right? But Jesus kept speaking, and he named this, this reality of our lives, that we must become servants and not just look to be served, that we're giving our lives away. It's imperative that we sit down and do an inventory of our lives to see if we are matching up to the life that he called his disciples to here in Mark chapter 10. Because if we don't, then it means we've stopped listening when Jesus has kept speaking.